Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words from scripture. Our passage today is from Genesis chapter 16. Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture. What comes to mind when you hear the word angel? Halos? Wings? Celestial beings descending from the sky? What if there's more to angels than the ornaments we hang on our trees? The word angel means messenger, and they're mentioned hundreds of times in scripture. They bring messages of comfort, peace, and joy. And who doesn't need more of that today? Sometimes the Bible says when we welcome strangers, we welcome angels without even knowing it. So let's discover now the angels found in scripture and the role they might just play among us today. I'm really looking forward to this series on angels. I've never preached an entire series on angels before, usually a one-off sermon here or there. And we're going to try to understand what does the Bible teach us about angels and what difference do they make in our lives and, and how do they teach us about God and what God's will is for our lives today. This week, while I was researching angels, I came across a message by a rabbi, and he was talking about an angel that was seen in a locker room of a country club. So I guess there was a group of four or five guys. They were in the locker room after playing golf, and, and the cell phone goes off. And one of the guys picks up the cell phone, hits the speaker, and, and says hello. And, and on the other end, the woman says, hi, honey, are you still at the country club? And he says, yeah, yeah that's, that's where I'm at. And well, I'm at the shopping mall, and, and I just came across this beautiful leather coat. It's kind of expensive, but I just love it. It's $2,000. Do you think I should get it? Well, sure, if you love it, go for it. And, and then she says, uh, okay, well, I'm kind of on a roll here. She said, you know what? On the way to the mall, I saw the Lexus dealership. They have the car that I've been wanting, the one I've longed for, in the color that I wanted. It's, it's actually there. What do you think, honey? Do you think we should go at it? I mean, could I, maybe, could I get the car? And he says, if you love the car, you should get it. And they say, oh, honey, I love you so much. You were, you were just an angel. She says, one other thing I noticed, the house that we looked at last year, it, it's on the market again. And, and, and the price is a little lower than it was before. Uh, it's our dream house, honey. What do you think about making an offer on the house? And, and he says, well, if you love the house, maybe you should have it. And she says, you are the best. I love you so much. You are an angel, living, breathing angel. I love you so much. And then she hung up. And the guy's running like, wow, you really are amazing. You are a living, breathing angel. And he says, well, I don't know about that. But he says, does anybody know whose cell phone this is? Well, we're going to talk about angels. 
And, uh, and sometimes angels show up as human beings, and sometimes there's just a little mistake in communication. Anyway, today we're going to ask, ask some questions. First of all, are angels real? And, uh, and what can we know about them? What does the scripture teach us about angels? And, and, and then finally, what do they teach us about God's will for our lives today? When we think about angels, there are over 300 references to angels in the Bible. And when we read those references, and I tried to read all of them this last week, you, you, you begin to get some sense of what angels are all about in scripture. So what I'd like for us to do today is to think together about what scripture teaches about angels. Actually, over the next five weeks, we're going to do that. And each week, we're going to add just a little bit more. And this is the right time to be talking about angels. It's when people are thinking most about angels angels at Christmas time or Advent leading up to Christmas. So when we read the stories of the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus, we find that angels show up all over in those stories in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, more than all of the rest of the occurrences of angels in the gospels combined, as I recall. When, and when we think about those angels, we begin to sing about them. And that's why all of our Christmas carols, there's so many of them reference angels. I think about Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Angels from the Realms of Glory and Angels We've Heard on High and there are others. Our Christmas cards often have angels on them, and, uh, and even our trees, we have angels or- as ornaments and angels at the top of the tree sometimes. And, and so we spend a lot of time thinking about angels around Christmas time. And when we think about angels, part of what I find is there are a certain group of people who really believe in angels, and they are very excited about angels, and they're passionate about them. And there are other people who are like, you know, I don't really know that I believe in angels. I think those are sort of mythical figures that are added to the scripture over time, or the way pre-scientific people thought about things, especially coming out of the Enlightenment, there was a sort of decline in a belief in angels. Today, 69% of Americans believe in angels, and, uh, and some who believe in them, I mean, they really are passionate about them. And so what I find myself is I find my myself a little skeptical of some of those who are super gung-ho, gung-ho about angels, because when I hear them talk about angels, it's almost as though angels have taken the place of God or the Holy Spirit in their lives. And when they describe angels, if they're, if they're people who are really all into angels and you see angels everywhere, you know, I, I begin to wonder, have they stepped a little further beyond what the scripture actually teaches when it comes to angels? Uh, some of them see that we're in this constant, you know, there's angels all around us, good angels and bad angels, fallen angels, which are demons, and good angels, which are guardian angels, and, and there's this battle constantly going on, and we just are sort of stuck in a tug-of-war between them. And that's, that's not my experience. So I believe in angels. Uh, I believe both in the heavenly kind and the earthly kind. I believe in the heavenly kind because the Bible talks about them. I've never personally met an angel. I, I take that back. I did meet an angel once, I think. He was driving a Ford F-150. I'll tell you that story in a couple of weeks. But, but when we think about these angels, somewhere between I don't believe in them at all and, uh, and my whole life is built around angels may be the truth about angels. So we're going to try to understand what we think about angels and what the Scripture teaches and what we're supposed to learn from the angels. By the way, I think some of the folks who are skeptical about angels are folks who've said, I've never even, I've never seen one. And if there are guardian angels, well, one woman wrote this. She said, if there are guardian angels, my angel has either taken up drinking or asked to be reassigned. So there are some folks who say, if there are guardian angels who are walking with us all the time, my guardian angel seems to be asleep on the job. All right. So today, what I want to begin with is just a basic overview of angels. And every week, I'm going to add a little more information to, uh, to what we know about angels from Scripture. Then we're going to look each week at stories of angels engaged with humans in the Scriptures. And then finally, we're going to ask each week, what does that tell us about who God is and what God's will is for our lives? So the angels became, become a model for us of how we're meant to live 
our lives. So let's start with the Hebrew and Greek words for angel, angel found in the scripture. You remember the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament word is malach, and the New Testament work is, word is angelos, so from which we have our word angel, angelos. Los Angeles is the city of angels, so angelos or malach. So when we think about those words, again, they show up 300 times throughout scripture, and uh, both of them mean the same thing. They mean messenger. Now, the word could be used of human messengers, or they could be used of heavenly messengers. And and we find both in the Bible. Uh, They're used in both ways in Scripture. And it sort of points to the problem or the struggle we have sometimes in figuring out, is something a heavenly angel or an earthly angel? And I'm going to suggest to you before we're finished that we're all meant to be human angels. We're all meant to be human messengers of God and doing the work of God, while at the same time recognizing that there may just be a category of being that God has created that is a heavenly or a spirit being. Now, when we think about heavens, uh, heavenly kind of angels in scripture, there are several things we can say right up front. One is that they are creatures like we are. They were created by God. They are not deities. They are not lesser deities. They are created beings. So if they exist, then they are created beings as we are. God created them for some kind of purpose. Uh, the purpose we find is that they are servants of God, working on behalf of God, doing God's work or God's bidding and speaking to us on God's behalf. When angels interact with humans, though we often see them and portray them as having wings, we never see that in the Bible. Now, there's a category of of heavenly being, uh, the cherubim and the seraphim, that surround the throne of God, and they're said to have wings. They're described in very graphic terms uh, in Scripture in just a couple of places. They're said to have wings, but the ordinary kind of angels, the messengers of God who interact with humans, you never see them having wings. In fact, most of the time when you see an angel interacting with a human, the human has no idea that it's an angel. I'm pretty sure if angels had wings, those humans who are interacting with them would, uh, would you know, somehow recognize this was not just a stranger who was with them. Angels are not deceased humans. Uh, they are a different category of creatures. So God has created angels, and they were created as angels. They uh, are not people who have died, and then they get their wings after they have been dead and done enough good things. Or That's not how it works. So uh, those who die become a part of the communion of the saints. They become, we, we live on in heaven. And, uh, and I do believe there are moments and times where those who've gone before us uh, connect with us and where we sense their presence with us. But that's not the same as an angel. Uh, that is our deceased loved ones who are part of the communion of the saints. And then finally, angels are not meant to be the focus of our faith. They are not meant to be worshipped. They're not, not, to, not meant to be prayed to. They are not meant to be the focus of our faith. God is the focus of our faith, and angels are meant to lead us to God and to God's will and then to do it. So these are a few things we can know about angels. When I think about what angels are like in Scripture, I don't think they look like Raphael's cherubs. So you've seen this image before, and uh, that is not how angels are portrayed in Scripture. Instead, they're mighty and strong and powerful, and they don't have wings, as we said. Uh, then I think about uh, they're also not like 1990, the 1996 film Michael with John Travolta as an angel. Uh, he, he made a very interesting angel in that film, but uh, this is not how, uh, how angels are portrayed in Scripture. Or I think about uh, Henry Tavers' 1946 portrayal of angel second class uh, Clarence Oddbody. And, uh, and actually, when I think about Clarence Oddbody, while the film was wrong in saying, you know, every time a uh, bell rings, an angel gets its wings, and if the angel does enough good things, they finally get their wings, that isn't how it works. It's not like the wings that you get when you're flying on an airplane if, you, you know, if you're a kid or, or if you do enough good stuff, an angel is going to get its wings. As we've learned, the angels don't interact with wings here on earth anyhow. But what I like about that portrayal is when I think about angels most of the time in Scripture— they're people that would surprise you. They aren't necessarily people. There's a few exceptions, but generally 
the humans they're interacting with have no idea that they're an angel. I like Henry Tavers and his portrayal in 1946 of Clarence Oddbody. All right, so over the next five weeks, we're going to learn about these angels. We're also going to learn stories, or we're going to study stories of angels interacting with humans in Scripture. And what I'd like to do today is to take you to a handful of those stories from the Old Testament. So if you don't already receive our GPS, our Grow, Pray, and Study Guide, our daily devotional, I'd like to invite you to sign up for it, because all through the series, you're going to have a chance to read these stories. Each day, there'll be a short story or a couple of short stories from the Scriptures that tie into the weekend message, things that I couldn't include in the sermon for length of sermon. So this week, I'm going to encourage you, you're going to have a chance to read some really amazing and beautiful stories in Scripture where angels are somehow involved in the Old Testament. So you'll read one of those stories is Moses. Moses has been tending the sheep of his father-in-law in in the Sinai. He's 80 years old. You remember he fled from Egypt after killing an Egyptian, and the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And Moses is just minding his own business, taking care of his sheep, and he sees a bush that's burning. Now, there's not many bushes. It's desert out there. But he sees a bush that's burning, and he goes up to check out the burning bush, and an angel of the Lord speaks to him from the flames. This is why some Jewish people, some scholars had said in the past, and rabbis had said in the past that angels were, were made up of light, constructed of light, or the same stuff of, of uh, fire. So there is an, a burning bush, and an angel of the Lord speaks through it. Now, when you read about the angel of the Lord in the Hebrew Bible, it often, so there's the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, but it speaks in the first person sometimes as God himself. And so you're never quite sure, am I interacting with an angel or am I interacting with God? And that's what's happening here in this particular story. So the angel of the Lord speaks to the burning bush and says, uh, says this, I have seen the misery of my people. I've seen my, I've heard of their oppression and their misery, and I want to set them free from slavery. So Moses, I need you to go and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I need you to go, and I'm going to use you to deliver them. Now, it's interesting. So an angel of the Lord gives a message to Moses, and then Moses is told to go be the messenger or the angel of the Lord to the Pharaoh. He is meant to go and and be God's spokesperson to the Pharaoh. And so once more, we find this, you know, there's the heavenly angel, but he's calling the human, Moses, to go become a human angel, a human messenger from God, a spokesperson for God to Pharaoh. All right, another of the stories you're going to read this week One of my favorite in the scripture is about three young Jewish boys who had been uh, captured. Uh, They were were actually a part of the uh, Jewish people living in exile in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar erects a giant statue of himself, a golden statue, a golden idol. And when the music struck up, when when the city bands began to play, everyone was to bow down to pray and pay homage to the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. But these three Hebrew boys, these three Jewish young men said, we will not bow down to this. We will only bow down to God. We will not worship any idols. And Nebuchadnezzar becomes very angry. And you remember he creates, he he heats up the furnace, this fiery furnace, and he heats it up so it's blazing hot, so hot nobody can even get close. And he tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, unless you bow down to my image, you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And they say, well, we won't bow down to your image, and we believe that God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your image. And so they take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they throw them in the fiery furnace. This is a story you learned when you were a kid growing up. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks, and as he looks, he sees it looks like a fourth person in the fire, one like a son of man. And as he looks inside there, you know, he sees that these men, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are, are, are just walking around in the flames and not consumed. And, and finally, they, they, they're, they're invited to, to get out of the fiery furnace. And, and, and what they find is that there was, a, there was an angel of the Lord who was there who refused to allow the flames to consume Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So the angel of the Lord, but at the same time, in some sense, it's almost like God is in the fire with them. I always look at that story as though Christ had come before his incarnation. He'd come to walk with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. When you read the story, you're meant to think about the times you've been in the fiery furnace in life and this image of God being with you in the fire. And then there's just later in that same book of Daniel, we find Daniel, who is, uh, is a faithful Jewish young man, and he ends up being thrown into the lion's den, dropped into the lion's den. And you remember the scripture says there that the angel of the Lord was in the lion's den and closed the mouths of the lions so that they would not devour Daniel. And he was rescued and saved by the presence of this angel, probably no one else could see in that space, keeping the lions from devouring him. In any case, you're going to read these stories this week. Uh, the, the angels of the Lord showing up when people are in dire circumstances, when they are hopeless or helpless. But the two stories I want to focus on right now, one is about Elijah the prophet. And you may remember that Elijah, and by the way, the prophets were messengers from God. They were Moloch's from God, for God. They were God's spokespeople. And, uh, and Elijah had said some pretty harsh things to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and, 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 uh, and in, in a major battle with the prophets uh, of Baal. He destroyed the prophets of Baal. These are the prophets of, the, of uh, Queen Jezebel. And so Queen Jezebel says, as surely as I live, Elijah's going to die. I'm going to see him put to death. And so Elijah has to flee the land and he goes down into the wilderness. He's probably down by Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai in, in the Sinai Peninsula. And he goes down there and he, he is depressed. He is discouraged. He is despondent. When he gets down there, he, is, he prays to God. He's like, God, please just kill me. I don't want to live anymore. It's a very powerful passage. It's one of a handful of places we find biblical authors, people who are saints who prayed to die. And I often remember this when I talk with people who are feeling suicidal, that you're not the first to feel this way. Even the great saints of God at times felt like giving up. They just wanted to die. They didn't want to keep going. And that's exactly where Elijah is. And and then we read this in 1 Kings 19.3. Elijah was terrified when he heard about Queen Jezebel wanting to kill him. He got up and ran for his life. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger in Hebrew, Malach, in in the Greek translation, Angelos, an angel tapped him and said to him, get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw flatbread flatbread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then he went back to sleep. And the Lord's messenger, again, Malach or Angelus, returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said. Eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. What I find interesting in this is this messenger from God. And in the, in the common English Bible, it just says messenger of God. It doesn't say angel of God. But this messenger from God, was he human or was he a heavenly kind of creature? We can't really be sure here. But what he does, I want you to notice what he does. Elijah is discouraged, he's despondent, he feels helpless and hopeless. And the angel of the Lord, what does he do? He prepares a meal for him. He brings a meal to Elijah while he sleeps. He brings a meal over and then he wakes him up and he says, come on, you gotta eat, you gotta eat something. And then then he goes back to sleep and a little while later he says, okay, come on, wake up again. You gotta eat something. You're gonna need this nourishment for the journey because you got a hard journey ahead of you. I mean, it's often the case that the angels of the Lord, the messengers of God, don't come and miraculously solve all the problems of the people who are walking in darkness or in in, in difficult situations, hopeless or helpless. Instead, they come along to encourage them. 
And I was thinking about what you would do if, if you had a friend who was walking through something really hard and they weren't eating, which is often what happens when we get depressed is we stopped eating. And so Elijah naturally stops eating and he's sleeping a lot. And, and, and the messenger of the Lord would d- did exactly what you would do if it was your friend. And that's, come on, man, you got to eat. I brought some bread over for you. I got something for you to drink. And he provides something so simple that any human could provide that. And this is the angel of the Lord. And so he's painting a picture for us of what God does, God's concern for us when we're walking through really tough and difficult times. But he also paints a picture for us of what we might do for other people when we seek to be messengers of the Lord for them. Notice there was no dramatic displays of power. There were no wings on these creatures, as near as we can tell. This was just looked like a, a human, an ordinary human who came to help Elijah in his hour of need. All right, that leads me to an Egyptian slave girl. Her name was Hagar. This is the story's found in Genesis 16, and then, uh, and then there's a bit more to the story in Genesis chapter 21. So you may remember Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai, uh, had, uh, had lived their entire lives seeking to be faithful to God and had been unable to have children. And God had promised them, you're going to have children. I'm going to give you descendants. They're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But, but you know, every year that went by, beyond childbearing years, how were they ever going to have children? And so Sarai, or Sarah, takes it upon herself. She says, I've got an idea. We're going to have a baby. We're definitely going to have a baby. And here's what I want you to do. Abram, I want you to sleep with my slave girl, Hagar. She's a young woman. I want you to sleep with her, and you can have a baby with her. And then I'm going to take that baby, and it's going to be mine. So sort of surrogate mother. And, of course, Hagar's getting the terrible end of the deal. You know, she's, she's uh, no permission is asked. She's controlled by, by her mistress and and then you have this elderly Hagar or elderly Abram, and they're going to have a baby together. And the whole thing is just is just sad and and broken and painful. And and then it gets worse because Hagar conceives, and when Hagar conceives, Sarai becomes very bitter and angry towards Hagar because she's able to have what Sarah could not have up to this point. So listen to our scripture. Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress mistress, and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. It's actually quite a beautiful story. It's told, you know, in, in ancient Near Eastern style and tradition, but, but here's this little, you know, young slave girl. And, and not only has she experienced, you know, has she, has she had to give her body to be able to bear a child that she didn't want to have through a, with a man she didn't want to have the child with, but then she's abused by her mistress. And when she runs away, so I don't know if you've ever run away. I ran away when I was a kid at one point, feeling really low in my life. And Hagar runs away and she's out in the wilderness there by herself, the desert by herself. And the Lord comes to her. The Lord comes to her. I love this. That, that Hagar's, you know, if, if from, from the cultural context of the Hebrew Bible, Hagar is an insignificant girl. She is an Egyptian slave girl. She's not related to Abram in any way. And yet God sees her. God has compassion for her. God comes to her. He sends his angel to her. To show, and, and notice there's nothing miraculous that happens here. God just shows up and says, I care, you know, and through the angel, I care about you. I care about you and I care about your child and I'm going to bless your child. And no matter what 
no matter what Sarah does, I'm going to bless this child that you're going to have. And, and you may remember, of course, that Muslim people look at Ishmael as the father of their nation. So as Isaac and Jacob become the father of Israel, Ishmael becomes the father of the, at least uh, the Arab people and the Muslim people around the world look at, at tracing their heritage through her. They become as numerous almost as the stars in the sky, just like Abram was told when it came to Isaac and Jacob's children. And so we find God caring, having compassion, showing up. And I love what Hagar calls God. You are El Roy, the God who sees. Do you know that God sees your pain? I love going back to Moses, that God saw, he says, I've seen and heard the suffering of my people in Egypt, and I'm sending you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And God saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and God saw Daniel in the lion's den, and God saw Elijah when he wanted to die in the wilderness, and God sees you. God sees you and knows you and loves you and walks with you. Now, the angel didn't make everything okay between Sarah and Hagar. Hagar had to, Hagar had to go back and put up with Sarah and, and, and the cruelty with which she sometimes treated uh, Hagar. I want to move ahead five chapters. Go to Genesis chapter 21 if you have your Bible with you. And there we find that Sarah has eventually conceived her own child, just as the angels had promised her long before. And despite her advanced age, she's now going to have a baby. And actually, she ends up having a baby. And that baby is Isaac. So we have Ishmael and his half-brother Isaac. And there's Isaac. And when Isaac is weaned, so he's just a little guy, but when he's weaned, there is Ishmael. And Ishmael seems to be laughing at Isaac or teasing him or something. It's hard to tell exactly in the story. And Sarah becomes angry, infuriated, actually, at Hagar once more, who she's already despised, and Hagar's son. And then she says to Abram, you have to get rid of her. You got to get rid of her and you got to send her away. I don't want that child inheriting. I don't want that child competing with Isaac. You got to send him away. And so we find in Genesis 21, the Bible's first divorce. And that divorce happened when Abram took this woman with whom he had a child and who was a part of his family. It was a little different back then how it worked, but it was a part of his family, uh, his harem, if you will. And she is divorced from the family and she's sent away. And Abram doesn't provide any alimony, doesn't provide child support. You know what he provides? He provides a big skin filled with water for her to carry as she, as she heads down south into the wilderness. It's a terrible place. And, and, and so here she is in, in 21, 6, uh, 16, she places her son Isaac underneath a tree. And then she says this, uh, do, not look, do not let me look. She's praying. Do not let me look on the death of this child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. I mean, you just have to feel the pathos of the story. She weeps because her child might die and she's got nothing left. The water's gone and she's got nothing left. And once more, an angel of the Lord calls out to Hagar. He heard her cries and the cries of her child. And the angel of the Lord points out a water source where she can get water. The water source, I think, was already there. She just didn't know it was there. It was a spring that was somewhere nearby or it probably wasn't a well. Maybe it was a well, some sort of water source. And goes on to promise her once more that this child is going to grow up and he's going to be okay and she's going to be okay. And, and, and again, there's no grand miracles and there's no winged creatures showing up and the glory of the Lord is not showing all around them. It's just a stranger who comes along and speaks, in this case, speaks from heaven and says, you're going to be okay. God has heard your prayers. God has heard the cries of your son and you're going to be okay. And here's some water. It's going to be all right. 
The angel of the Lord, most of the time in Scripture, is not coming to provide some, you know, some miraculous, huge you know, solution to our problems. The angel of the Lord often is coming saying, I am with you. I see you. I hear you. Don't be afraid. So here's what I hope you'll see from these passages in Scripture, that God has compassion on his people, that he walks with us. He experiences our misery. He doesn't want to leave us alone, depressed, or abandoned. And he's promising us, I'm going to walk with you, and it's going to be okay. All right, so this is the story of the angels in our scriptures in the Old Testament today. I want to, I want to just tie this in to how we think about what God says to us. So we know that God is compassionate and merciful, that he sees us, he hears us, he walks with us, he doesn't abandon us. And in our lives, we have to internalize that. We have to choose to believe that this is true. But then I also want us to notice that the angels are giving us a glimpse of how we're meant to treat one another. And sometimes perhaps we experience angels in exactly this way in our lives, the heavenly kind. But often we experience angels, the earthly kind in this way, and we become the earthly kind of angel. So I think about people whose stories uh, I've read, uh, people in our own congregation and others who talk about uh, the moment of a car accident. Actually, this is one that was shared with me this week from somebody in our congregation or somebody who follows me on Facebook and a car accident. In the midst of that car accident, there was, a, there was somebody, a stranger who came and, and, uh, and was with this person and said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You know, you're, you're, you're safe. And, uh, and then, you know, when the police arrived, uh, this person was nowhere to be found. And the individual was talking about how, you know, I remember distinctly this person talking to me in a very friendly, you know, encouraging when I was terrified. And then the police come in and they, you know, in the fire department, they rescue me. And I began to ask around, who was that man? I want to say thank you. And nobody saw him except for the man who was in the accident. Uh, I think about angel stories in scripture that tell us about the heart of God and how people have experienced that same kind of heart as they have been cared for by people who acted as modern-day angels for them. So this week, I, I was thinking about the folks. So here was an example. Uh, there was a woman who wrote me, and she said that uh, her niece had been critically ill, was in ICU for over a month. She was sedated most of the time, and she said it terrified me to think that she was there by herself and, and the moments where there wasn't somebody in the room. And, and she said, I began to pray that God would send an angel to her side to comfort her and keep fear away. And she said, I knew that people had sometimes seen angels at times of physical peril. And so that became my prayer. Lord, please send an angel. Please send an angel for her. And she said, after she had recovered, I asked her, did you ever happen to have an angel that came to visit you? Did you uh, do you remember a, the sighting of an angel or an experience of an angel while you were in the ICU? And she said, well, I don't remember an angel, but I do remember a woman named Betty who came and spent the entire night sitting in my room. I assumed that she was a nurse. She must have been an ICU nurse or someone who stayed there that whole night when I was afraid, when I was, you know, I think probably coming in and out of consciousness. I'm not sure. And she said, uh, she said later I asked, you know, is, is Betty one of the nurses here? Is, you know, I'd like to thank her. And nobody had ever heard of a Betty who worked in the ICU. Now, again, the question is, was Betty who sat there in that room all night long with this young woman... Was she a heavenly angel or was she an earthly angel? Was she somebody, a family member that others didn't know was there? Was she, you know, was she a, a stranger who happened to come in and thought this young woman needs somebody to sit with her all night long? I don't know. Heavenly angel, earthly angel. And it actually doesn't really matter to me. All I know is that there was a Betty sitting in the room when this young girl was terrified in the ICU and gave her comfort and strength, a reminder that God was with her. 
So we began the sermon with a, a humorous story about a, a guy who picked up a phone and with a cell phone began to get permission for a woman to buy whatever she wanted. And, and, and for that reason, he was called an angel by his friends in the, in the locker room and by the woman on the other end of the phone. But I don't think that's really how God works. What I do think is that sometimes even a cell phone can be an instrument for us to become angels of the Lord. So last weekend, I was sitting in worship uh, in the front row here in the sanctuary, and, uh, and there was a text message that came through. And I shouldn't have looked at it, but, you know, we, we sign in using our phones. And when I signed in using the phone, I saw the message that was there, and I clicked on it to see. And, and it was a friend of mine in our congregation who was telling me about a, a, a friend of hers who lives across the United States who worships with us online. And she said she'd just been diagnosed with cancer. And she asked, would you please pray for her? So we went into the pastoral prayer and I was praying for this woman. And, and, uh, and while I was praying for her, I felt this nudge, call her, call her. And I wasn't gonna get up from the worship service and call her. So I waited until service was over with. And I called, uh, it might've been after the 11 o'clock service. So maybe when both services, the morning services were done. And, and I called and I got a voicemail message. And uh, I, I don't think, I may have met this woman at least once, but I'm not positive. I didn't remember it if I had. And, uh, and I called and I just said, uh, mentioned her name. And I said, you know, this is Pastor Adam Hamilton at Church of the Resurrection. And, and, uh, and a friend of mine told me that you had been diagnosed with cancer. And I just wanted you to know that I felt God laid it on my heart to call you. And, uh, and I've been praying for you during the worship service, but I just, I wanted to pray for you again right now. And what I know and what I hoped was when you heard my voice on, on your phone or on your answering machine, it would be a sign to you that God sees you, that God hears you, and that God is with you. And then I prayed for her. And that was it. It was a, just a simple voicemail message. It was no more than a three-minute conversation I had with her voice recorder. And, uh, and then later on, I received a, a picture and, uh, and a text from my friend who said, you have no idea what that meant to my friend to hear your voice. And it felt as though God saw her and heard her and was with her. You know, that's what we have a chance to do for each other. We have a chance to be those kind of angels. I, I saw this happen in another way this week. Uh, and, and I want to end with this. There was uh, uh, someone I dearly love who had been struggling with depression and, and just, just in a felt, I think, pretty hopeless. And, uh, and I finally, when I found out about this, I thought, what can I do? I don't know what I can do to help. I think this person needs some help, but I don't know what kind of help I can provide. And so, so as I was thinking about that and praying for this person, somebody's name came across my mind, actually two people. And I thought, I wonder if they would know how to help. And so I texted them. I hadn't talked to them for months. And I said, your name came across, you know, I, I was thinking about you. And I, I just, I wondered if there's any way that you would know of somebody who might be able to help this person that I dearly love, this friend. Do you, is there any any way, anybody you can think of that might be able to help. And, and uh, one of them texted back, said, I'm praying for your friend right now. And the other one texted back and said, uh, call this person. I thought, wow, okay. So I called this person. And when I called her, uh, she said that my friend who I had texted had already called and she'd already made an appointment with someone else to see and to uh, connect with my friend. And I sat there and I thought, and, and that day, you know, and so my friend who was in a pretty dark place had a chance to experience in that moment, you know, somebody or that afternoon, somebody who could offer her hope. And in the process of this, I'm writing this sermon on how angels work and cell phones. And I thought, how interesting is it that I had the chance to be the recipient of those angels? And those angels has, had names. They had names like Sam and David and, and Rennie. And, 
And each one of them was willing not only to take a text, but then to make a call, who in turn made another call, who in turn found somebody who could help. And in the process, all of these angels together, this company of angels, were able to bring hope to somebody. They bring hope, brought hope to me and to the person I dearly love. And so in the middle of all of that, I caught a glimpse. These weren't angels with wings. They weren't heavenly creatures. They were human beings who took time out of their day to say, I think I can help here. I think I can help. I need to help. What can I do? So my question for you is this. At this time of year when the days get shorter and the nights get longer and singing joy to the world can seem like a cruel joke to somebody, where there are people who are walking in darkness who need to see a great light, in what ways is God calling you to be an angel of the Lord for them? In what ways might you come alongside somebody to be able to say, by your presence, by your love, by your encouragement, God sees you, God hears you, God knows you, and I do too, and I'm with you, so that they might find hope in the midst of the darkness. I believe that there are heavenly creatures that God has made, angels, and they have work to do for God. But I believe that they're also meant to model for us how we're meant to live our lives. And when we listen for God's voice and we follow up on what God calls us to do, the the little nudges that God places on our hearts, we find ourselves in the middle of a conversation in which God is trying to communicate to his people, I see you, I hear you, I love you, you're mine. Would you bow in prayer with me? Oh God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you see us at our darkest moments that you see us and that you long to send your servants, your messengers to come alongside to help us, maybe to prepare a meal as the angel did for Elijah or to encourage us to get up and keep going or to show us where the water is so that we can drink as the angel did for Hagar or simply to remind us that you are and that you're with us. Please help us to pay attention. Help us to pay attention every day this week to notice, O Lord, when you're calling us to be your messenger, to express to others the depth of your love for them by our voice, by our gifts, by our care and our concern. And help us, O Lord, to pay attention when you've sent messengers to us that we might recognize them as your angels to us and that we might hear your voice for us, that we are loved and you see us and you hear us and you walk with us. We offer ourselves to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.